Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nelly Galan. Let's get started. Gary Acosta, I'm just beyond thrilled to interview you because I believe you're so humble, you're going to freak out when I say what I'm going to say. But I think you are the most important person in our community. I think you have done more for Latinos and the wealth building and the empowerment of Latinos than anybody else. And I want to make sure that everyone on the planet (laughs) knows who you are. Gary, for those of you that don't know, is an entrepreneur a public policy advocate and an investor, but he is the co-founder and CEO of the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals, NAREP. I can't wait to get into it because it's a game changer organization that has done so much in our community. And in the middle of all that, he created the Hispanic Wealth Project, which we're gonna go deep into how that happened and why that is so important. And that's a nonprofit organization with a strategic plan to triple Hispanic household wealth by 2024. And on top of all that, he is the co-founder of Latitude, which I just went to in Miami, a major event that he produces with international business executive Sol Trujillo, former United Airlines CEO Oscar Munoz, and our other dear friend, music superstar Emilio Estefan. But... What this is not saying is that you're the most under the radar, low key, humble person (laughs) on the planet Earth. And that's why I love you because you're very secure. And I love that about you. Oh, you're sweet, Nelly. So let's talk about how we first met. Wasn't it the first year of NADEP? We actually met at Hispanicize. You were a keynote speaker there. I was a keynote speaker. It was when my book came out and you asked me to go and speak at NADEP. I said, can you do what you just did at our event in L.A.? And you were able to make it work in terms of your schedule and timing. And people still talk about your speech and the way it impacted them to this day. And I have to say, Gary, it's also how it impacted me. Because this was this brand new organization, the National Association of Latino Real Estate Executives. And I went there and... You know, my book was all about my experience learning about money and financial literacy. And in my book, as you know, I wrote, Don't Buy Shoes, Buy Buildings. And to be in a room of people that all resonated with everything that I had thought about money, about coming from a communist country to the United States, having my parents start from nothing, this idea that I had of wealth building, which you know, in our community was almost like a dirty word and feeling like kumbaya with all these other people. And then that my words gave them permission to also understand that everything you were telling them, that this was our path to wealth building. 
it was like a religious experience for me, Gary, honestly. I just think that what you have created with Nareb is just the answer for us because not only did you create a way for all these people to get together and have a conversation, but you also have created an organization that actually teaches people how to do it. It's not handing people money. It's handing people knowledge and know-how, which is the answer to everything. So I'm starting by just saying how much I respect you, but we need to go now back all the way back to how did this journey start for you? Because you're a Latino guy from California, from San Diego. How in God's name did you decide what happened in your childhood that you decided to A, get into real estate and all these other businesses you've gotten into? What happened? That's a great question. First of all, thank you for all the very sweet and kind words that you expressed. I don't think I can take nearly the credit that you were trying to no, give. No, you can't. I know but... you, you have a hard time with that. <laughs> I'm going to give you the credit and you're going to just take it in. <laughs> well, it's your show. So <laughs> not, not <laughs> that's right. You too much. But yeah, so I grew up in LA, actually. I actually had great parents. They were great influences in my life. I tell this story, Nellie. I say a lot of parents tell their kids that they can do anything. They put their mind to it, encourage them. But somehow my parents convinced me of that. And I think that's an interesting distinction, right? Because parents say those sorts of things, but not all of them convince their kids of that. Somehow my parents convinced me that I could do something special with my life. And I always had that in the back of my mind. I went to college in Southern California. I went to Pomona College. I played basketball there for a pretty famous basketball coach by the name of Greg Popovich. Wow. <laughs> that was his very first head coaching job. So long before the NBA, and he became the greatest of all time in a lot of people's minds. He was my basketball coach and was a great mentor also. So I was very fortunate early in my life to somehow just by luck, I guess, cross paths with some extraordinary leaders that made an impression in my life. I moved down to San Diego at an early age to start my career. And I thought I was going to be in the science business. I had a degree in chemistry. I was going to try to get a graduate degree. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with that, but I figured I'd figure it out in some way. But along the way, a friend who worked at a community bank invited me to get a job there. He encouraged me to do it. It was totally off the beaten path from what I had thought for myself, but I thought it would be a great experience. And I liked the idea of business even if I was going to be somebody that was in the science field, somehow I thought I would somehow migrate into business. So I did this stint at the community bank. I learned the mortgage business at the community bank. And that was just a coincidence and something that I enjoyed. The bank ended up closing its branches in San Diego. And I had a decision to make. Do I want to commute from Mission Viejo, which is where their headquarters were, or did I want to do something else? And I decided at 26 years old to start my own mortgage brokerage business. How did you even think to do that? Well, my experience at the bank exposed me to all sorts of different businesses that were in the real estate field in some capacity, because we had to do business with real estate agents and brokers, and I knew what our competition was. And I started to learn about the mortgage brokerage business and the role it had in the marketplace. So I knew the mortgage business from a fundamental standpoint. And I always wanted to start my own business at some point or thought that was something I'd at least explore at some point. 
And for whatever reason, I thought, hey, I'm young at this point. If it fails, so what? I don't have a family yet. No one is going to be tossed out in the street. Good time to try something that might have a little risk associated with it. So I did it. I launched a business at 26. I thought, if nothing else, it would look good on an application to business school at some point. But the business ended up working out. It wasn't a huge success, but it was successful. And I started to build relationships with people in the local San Diego business scene. And one of those people was a gentleman by the name of Ernie Reyes. I think you met Ernie when you came to our conference. He passed away, you know, a few years ago. Yes, I did meet him. Ernie was a great mentor to me. He was older, had a really interesting political background, actually worked in politics before he got into real estate. So we'd have these really cool conversations about politics. And it was really during the course of a multi-year relationship with Ernie that we decided to launch NAREP. And that's a, a whole story in itself. Wait a minute. Before that, you were investing in other businesses around real estate and in tech. That's a great point. Yes. So I went to a conference in 1999 that was all about real estate and technology. And I started to learn about what were some of the emerging trends. And the internet was just starting to impact business at that point. And there were companies that were already taking advantage of that. And so I thought about, because I did a lot of business with Latino buyers and sellers, and that was my market, that was my niche. I thought, why don't I create a real estate portal for Spanish-speaking home buyers and sellers? And we called it Real Estate Español. And again, just a very out-of-the-box thing to try. Everybody was trying to create their own .com at the time. So why not <laughs> jump on board? It's interesting because you're not very Spanish proficient, right? Like many Latinos that don't speak Spanish. So how did you even, you weren't nervous to do that? You just found somebody that could help you do it? I could get by. And so I wasn't completely unproficient in Spanish, but it was not my first language. English was my first language. I learned Spanish through relationships and through school, but I was still very connected to the community. I grew up in a very traditional Latino household. I just want Latinos that don't speak Spanish to understand that they could still do all the things that we do, you know, like come with us. Well, because I'm an English speaking, U.S. born Latino, people think that my upbringing wasn't necessarily traditional from a Latino standpoint, and it was. My mom was a Spanish speaking person first. My grandparents, you know, lived in our household. They spoke Spanish. I grew up in a very traditional Latino household. The food, the music, everything was very much that way. And, you know, growing up in L.A. in the 60s and 70s, speaking Spanish wasn't necessarily a virtue back then. It was a handicap to a certain degree because people would pigeonhole you. And my mom always wanted me to be able to get a good education and have a great career and not be limited. Now, of course, the opposite is true. But at the time, that's the way it was. So you started all these other little businesses in the real estate space. And then you guys decide, well, you're going to events and you realize that you're getting information at events. What makes you think there's no organization for Latinos? Were you that connected to other real estate people or did you just? That's a great question. So first of all, just from very sort of, I don't want to say self-serving, but very personal reasons, I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was an organization where we can make business contacts and find mentors and find access to capital or the things that I needed to build my business. I had a friend who was on the board of the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce at the time. 
So I knew that there were Latino business organizations out there. I think even SHIP was out there, the Society of Hispanic Engineers, and there was the Hispanic Nurses Association. So there was these business organizations that organized the Latino workforce in those sectors, but there was nothing in real estate. And at the time, there was probably more Latinos employed in the real estate industry than any of those other industries. So it seemed like there was something missing. Like, why isn't there a Latino real estate organization? Because if there was, I could see how that would benefit me tremendously, being a Latino small business owner, looking for customers, looking for mentors and that sort of thing. And then it just became the whole, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when kind of thing. And again, I thought it would be a great experience. But if for no other reason, I thought just building a network where people like myself would be able to mastermind and share best practices and find access to the things that we needed to build our business, that in itself would be a tremendous thing to have. Ernie saw it from a political lens. He was like, yeah, not only that, but if we had an organization where we had a lot of Latino business professionals in the real estate sector or from the real estate sector congregating together and creating a political agenda to advocate for our customers and for our own businesses, that could be pretty powerful as well. And how did you tactically even know how to pull that off? Like, <laughs> how do we find all these people all over the country? You know, you're, you're asking really great questions because I will tell you, we decided that we were going to start this organization. And then about a month later, we asked that exact question, which is, <laughs> how are we going to do this? <laughs> you know, we're going to tell people we just started this national real estate organization for Latinos in the real estate business. And they're going to ask us, great, how many members do you have? Who's involved? They're going to ask all those questions. And we don't have very good answers for any of those questions because we don't have any members. And we don't know anybody outside of San Diego. How do we pull something like that off? For a while, I actually got cold feet. I said, Ernie, why don't we just start it in San Diego and call it the San Diego Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals and really kind of test the model, see if it works. And then we can sort of expand it beyond San Diego from there. But my friend who worked for the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, he discouraged us from that strategy. He said, if you start with the San Diego Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals, it'll never get beyond that. And I said, but look, we're going to call ourselves a national organization. We don't have a national network. And he says, doesn't matter. What you need is you need to start with a board. If you have a board that resembles a national organization, in other words, you have board members from Texas and from Florida and from Chicago and all the major markets, then people are going to believe that you're a national organization. And then from the board, you can start to acquire members if you have any real value going on and you have real benefits that you can share with them. So we did. I said, okay. And I'll tell you this story. And this sounds like a crazy story. But right before we were going to announce our creation, Ernie says, you know, neither one of us have the credentials to start a national organization. And I said, well, I don't know how we can change that now, Ernie. What, what do you suggest? And he says, being the politically minded individual, he says, we need to get somebody who does have those credentials to endorse us just the way you would endorse a political candidate. And we sat in a room, we wrote down a bunch of names, and one of the names we wrote was Henry Cisneros. Henry Cisneros. <laughs> Henry Cisneros. Neither one of us knew him. 
Neither one of us knew anybody who knew him, but we knew of him. And we knew he was the Secretary of Housing under Bill Clinton and obviously was one of the iconic leaders that we had in our community at the time. And we said, if we could get Henry Cisneros to endorse us, we're golden. So what did we do? We wrote him a letter called. Remember, he was at Univision back then, up in LA. That must have been a really good letter, though. You know, we just said, hey, we just launched this organization called NAREP. This is our mission statement to advance Hispanic homeownership. We're just getting started. And we're looking for any guidance or counsel that you can provide us with. We just asked for that. And Henry wrote back. And he said, this is a great idea. I wish NAREP had existed when I was HUD secretary. Could have done a lot of cool things together. And if there's ever anything I could do to help you guys, to support you guys, let me know. And we thought, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. And there's a phone number at the bottom of this letter. I said, let's call it. And we called his office and we said we wanted to invite Henry to be the keynote speaker at our launch event for NAREP, which is going to take place in LA. And his assistant, who was very nice, said, when is the event? And Nellie, we had a date for the event already. But in my mind, in that split second, I thought in my mind, we're going to tell her the date. She's going to say, Henry's not available. And that's going to be the end of that conversation. So when she asked me, when is the event? The answer that just came out of my mouth was, it's whenever Henry could make it. <laughs> that was a great answer. <laughs> and I thought, that has to be the dumbest thing she's ever heard in her life. But maybe it wasn't because she just went with it. She's like, okay, I'll get back with him and I'll see what dates he has available in the next few months. And she came back and she said, we have March 1st or July 27th. And we said, we'll take March 1st. And we literally built the event around his availability. And we announced to a press release that Henry was going to keynote our kickoff event in LA. And he just ended up being great timing. Henry came, he gave a great speech, it validated us. We had our first board meeting the day afterwards. There was so much positive energy. So a lot of it was just, you know, timing, luck. What year was that? That was 2000. Wow. So from there to now, you have a humongous group of people. And what I find, and I tell people, that's why your events are my favorite. And I think it's part of the political part of a lot of events that are minority events that a lot of them are very like, woe is us. And we speak to each other. It's like we commiserate. And I feel like with Narep, it's always about how can we make more money? How can we do something? Action, action. What are we doing? This is great. How do we do more? You know, it's very can do. Was that something that evolved or... Is it something that you purposely curated it that way? The optimism that you feel when you go to a NARP event is something that is very real. People describe it as there's an energy there at your events that I don't feel too many other places or any other places. And I would say that that is a reflection of our personalities, those of us that helped launch the organization, that just didn't want to create an organization that was pointing the finger or feeling sorry for ourselves or, you know, competing for that mindset of scarcity. 
It just wasn't what inspired us personally. I would constantly ask myself the question, is this an organization that I would have wanted to be part of when I was an up and coming young entrepreneur with bright eyes and, you know, with stars in my eyes, essentially. And that always sort of guided me. And even when we started to evolve as an organization, we've just got started, you attract a certain personality. And some of those personalities are, I think to your point, kind of more politically minded people, people who I describe as almost professional association types. And I would literally sit in the room with our, you know, our leadership team and say, I want the most successful Latinos in the real estate industry to want to be a part of this organization. What do we need to do? How do we need to present ourselves? What content do we need to provide to attract those people? And that has always been part of our ethos as an organization. You come to the event because you are striving for something. You're not coming because you're there to complain. You're there because you want to grow. You want to expand. You want to find ways to achieve your objectives. You know, Nelly, you come from Cuba. I've said this many times. Latinos, immigrants, don't come to this country because they like our food or our music. They come to this country for one reason, because of the economic opportunities that exist here to create a better life for ourselves and our families. That's why we're here. And that's the one thing that galvanizes all of us, whether we're Cuban or Mexican or Puerto Rican or Central American, we all have that in common. We are here for prosperity, to create a better lives for ourselves and our families. And that message is what you feel when you come to an ARP event, this optimism. And I feel like for me, in a country that's so politicized now, to find your tribe within that, right? For me is our people that are exactly looking for our common denominator, which is to live a better life and to encourage each other. And this idea that there's more opportunity for all of us, like we don't have to be the only Latino. Like what I think the whole real estate thing shows is that you could have a real estate office here and another one here and another one here and another one here, and you have your own customers and there's never scarcity. And I think that that's where it's going to change things. And that's why I feel so aligned with you guys. I also think that in the evolution of Nadet, you and I've had these conversations, you had an awakening about wealth building and I did too. So the two of us had the same awakening at the same time because I wrote my book about my own aha about wealth building because I had worked for eight billionaires. And by osmosis, I realized, man, we're missing the boat here. Like, we're not thinking big enough, you know? And you had, I think, the epiphany, not only because of your own wealth building and your own businesses, because you saw your people at NADEP quantumly leap forward once they were in a group. The power of a group to leap forward other people was unbelievable. Even to me, it gives me goosebumps as I'm saying it. So can you talk about your wealth building project and how that evolved from that? It actually was first contemplated during the Great Recession. So for the first eight years of NARA, it seemed like we were going to do nothing but grow and get bigger and more powerful, and nothing was going to stop us from that. 
And then 2008 happened. And we saw a collapse of the housing market that we hadn't seen since the Great Depression. And people lost homes and they lost businesses and they lost more than that. And I remember in 2012, a study came out by Pew that said Latinos had lost two thirds of their median household wealth between 2008 and 2012, more than any other demographic. And there's a lot of reasons why that was true. And it was a conversation I had once again with Henry around that time, because he, he remained a friend and a mentor. And I still talk to him every so often, even to this day. And we were talking about that report and that study and why we thought that that happened. And it was in the course of that conversation that it became very clear to us, first of all, that NARUP was in a unique position to provide some leadership in the area of Hispanic wealth. Clearly, we were an organization that had already, I think, had an impact on the whole idea of home ownership and why that was important and how that was a stepping stone to the middle class for many, many families here in the United States, Latino and non-Latino. But NARP not only is an organization that advocates for home ownership opportunities, it's also a network whose membership are largely small business professionals, which is a secondary source of wealth for many, many Latino families. So the combination of those two things and the realization at that time, in my mind, that NARP had to be about something more than just a place where people networked and maybe found another deal. It had to be about something that was more permanent and that was more significant than that. And that's what spawned the Hispanic Wealth Project. And that probably, Nelly, as you've seen firsthand, has galvanized our membership more than anything else that we've ever done. Wow, that is incredible. Hold on, Moneymaker will be right back. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's get back to the show. One thing that I also admire a lot about you, because I've seen it, and I don't know, I mean, your parents must have just taught you really well. You've also empowered a lot of leaders within NADA. So you founded the organization, but then you kind of stepped down as the president. And there have been a series of presidents. And now there's a new one coming in that's a woman, amazing. Talk about you're, I mean, you didn't know how to do this. <laughs> how did you figure out how to lead in a way that empowers other people? I mean, going back to how Latinos 
I mean, I hate to say it, but we've had so many years of Latinos not helping other Latinos, Latinos not bringing Latinos up. You know, I'm part of the Hispanic Corporate Directors, which is a new organization. And we had a meeting a few months ago and we, I brought in an African-American woman who's a big corporate board of director person. And she said, black people don't lead boards without putting another black person in the board. And everyone in the room was like, wow, we never thought about that. <laughs> and so you have done the opposite of that. So how is it that you learn to lead in a way that so empowers other people without being afraid, like other leaders have felt? Like, if I'm not in charge, I'm not the man. I mean, you're so not like that. I don't know if I have a great answer for you, but I will tell you this. First of all, it was the epitome of on-the-job training. So, you know, 2000 comes, we plant our flag, we decide that we're going to start this organization, and I'm going to be the leader of this organization. Two years later, I find myself testifying in front of Congress and doing all sorts of things that I never thought I would ever do. And I realized how quickly I was learning and developing my own leadership skill sets along the way, because I had to. I had to learn how to present myself in a highly professional manner. I had to know how to communicate in a way that connected with people, that hopefully inspired them. I had to learn how to run a board meeting. I had to learn a lot of practical skill sets like that. And along the way, I started realizing that if there was one thing that this organization can provide, one deliverable that we can continue to produce, it's leadership development. It's like other people are going to get a chance to do and experience what I did. They're going to be forced to learn and hone those skill sets, to sharpen their presentation skills, to learn how to manage a board, to learn how to talk to a, an elected official or an executive for a big corporation, to learn how to manage sort of differences in personalities, but to keep people focused on the higher objective. Those are opportunities that are not readily available. There's not many places where you get a chance to experience that firsthand. You can read about it in a book, you can take a workshop, but there's not many places where you get a chance to actually apply those skill sets. And NARA, because we were growing in a way where we had chapters and we had national board members and leaders at different levels, we realized that this opportunity to produce leaders was maybe the most important thing that we were actually doing as an organization. And when I get a chance to see people who were so shy that they wouldn't even raise their hand in a meeting, and then I see them on the main stage giving a great speech or galvanizing the group in their own way, there's nothing that gives me more satisfaction, I'll tell you that. Well, it's been a beautiful thing to watch, the evolution of the organization. And it says something about creating affinity groups and the power of affinity groups, again, a tribe around something very specific. And I just think it's very beautiful. I'm very proud of the fact that I was at your event when my book came out and I've inspired so many not up women to write a book. I've written the forward to their books. You have no idea how many women you have inspired in our organization. You know, I did a, a little movie about one of them from San Diego. I think that it's been so powerful for me because I also realized that one of the things we're saying is, and again, it's the thing that I think Latinos sometimes forget, that if one of us does something, 
and we don't support it, there is not going to be opportunities for 30 people or 50 people or a thousand people after them to do it. And the power of that, that when I wrote a book and it became a New York Times bestseller, that it allows other Latinos to go sell a book. Right now, I'm helping your friend Patty Arvielo write a book. Oh, great. I'm so obsessed with her, too. And I feel like she needs to be seen and she needs to write a book. So it's very wonderful. Okay, so now let's go to your next evolution, latitude. I don't even know how you could take even more on, but you did. (laughs) So as you have described, somewhere along the line, NARP got pretty good at producing conferences. And we describe it as part of our secret sauce, our ability to sort of converge Latino culture with business opportunity, with real business content was basically the way we designed our events. And I had a friend that said, if you really want to see a really successful big conference, you got to come to Austin, Texas and check out South by Southwest. So I started to research a little bit about the history of South by Southwest. You've been there, so you know it's this cultural phenomenon, but it started off as a music festival and it was really designed to showcase the Austin live music scene. And that was basically it. And it was a big success. And then they started to think, okay, we can use this as a platform to start to showcase other things that make our community, our culture great, such as the tech community that we have here in Austin, Texas, and this burgeoning filmmaker community and so forth. So it kind of grew organically, but it became basically this cultural phenomenon that showcases the best of Southwestern culture, essentially. And I started to look at who went to the event. There was like 100,000 people at the one I went to. And I started to think, why don't we have something like that? Why isn't there something that does the same thing, showcases the best and the brightest that we have, Latinos have, in all these various sectors, not just the real estate sector, but the business sector, the entertainment sector, the sports, politics, whatever. And that became something that I became a little obsessed with. And... We started to experiment with a couple of things inside of NARC. We had a music festival inside of our conference. That was kind of interesting. And then I crossed paths with Sol Trujillo. And Sol was doing the Latino donor collaborative thing. And I got invited to go participate at one of those events and actually present NARP State of Hispanic Homeownership Report because his events are all about data and sharing information with senior executives from big companies. And I went to this event, and I know you've been, I think you've been to LDC events. And Sol's on stage, and he's interviewing the chairman of Warner Brothers. Not the head of diversity for Warner Brothers, the chairman of Warner Brothers. So that in itself was like, okay, I had to kind of take a backseat on that one. And Sol, and we all know Sol, is telling this executive that there was a study that just came out that showed that 27% of all the movie tickets in the United States are purchased by Latinos, where only 18% of the population will be purchased 27% of the movie tickets. And of course, the chairman of one of the brothers is nodding his head saying, absolutely, we know how important the market is to us. We care a lot about the Latino consumer and so forth. And Saul says, I also know that less than 3% of the products you put out have a Latino in any significant role. So are we doing something wrong? Or are you just not very good at your job? You were in shock. And he told him <laughs> off. And so... And I was like, well, I've never seen that before. <laughs> That's true. And you know what I said to Saul? I finally got a chance to introduce myself to him because we'd only spoken on the phone before that. 
And it was between sessions, so there was a little break, and I went up to introduce myself to him, and I said, so, you know, I've never seen an interview like that. That was pretty amazing. The only problem is that there's 100 people here, and there should be 5,000 people listening to that. I have an idea I want to talk to you about. And so I invited Sol to be the keynote at NARP's event in LA in 2016. And he was impressed. He saw what you saw, that NARP is a pretty well-organized event and organization. It has great people that are associated with it. And we started a conversation. And Sol and I met on almost a weekly basis for an entire year, just kind of masterminding about what ultimately became Latitude, which is what I described, this larger platform that does showcase some of the best and brightest that we have in all these various sectors and conducts high-level conversations with the national media and with CEOs about what is truly the correct narrative about the Latino community in the United States. And you still have not app and you do them now, you try to do them together. We do. So it was fabulous in Miami to go there and see how many of us were there from all different walks of life and see the two different narratives of latitude being a little more soul, telling people what they're doing wrong with Latinos. But listen, it's our time. And then you guys in the more like really showing us how to do it, which was really beautiful. So with all of this evolution, Gary, I want to hear words of wisdom because you are an evolutionary person. What do you think is coming? What do you think you're seeing in our future in the next 20 years for Latinos and our position in this country? Yeah. So first of all, platforms are important. I think to your point, platforms give us an opportunity to make connections, share ideas, to promote a particular agenda. And I think NAREP and Latitude both provide that in a different way, but essentially are aiming to accomplish the same things. The other thing that platforms provide is focal points. And so one of the things we learned very early on with Latitude, because this issue kept coming up, was the lack of capital that was flowing to Latinos' businesses and entrepreneurs and startups. And I didn't even know these numbers. I didn't know that less than 1% of the venture capital, for example, that was being invested in this country were going to Latino startups. We're 18% of the population. We're 23% of the millennial population. We're getting like 1% of the venture capital and the investment capital. So that in itself is a major issue to address. And when I think about the next evolution and I think about what's next for the Latino community, I think entrepreneurship is really the key to getting us to the next level, to closing the wealth gap, to advancing us from an economic and political standpoint. Because you mentioned Patty Arviello. So when I started NARAP 23 years ago, one of the first things I did is I went through a, what I call the listening tour. And I visited with a lot of the major corporations that serve the industry, so the big banks and the big Century 21 brands, companies like that. And I told them all the same thing. I said, there's this tidal wave of Latino home buyers that's coming around the corner and you need to prepare for it. You need to have the right products and services. You need to learn how to market to this community. You have to have the right people working for you because you're going to want to take advantage of this. This is going to be a big, big business opportunity. And every single one of those companies nodded their head in agreement, and none of them did anything. Maybe they didn't believe everything I said, but it's hard for big companies to it is hard. They don't pivot. make major changes. And I'll tell you when things started to change. 
when a few entrepreneurs like Patty, who was focusing on the Latino community and marketplace like a laser beam, when those companies went from little small boutique companies to large scaled companies that started to take market share away from some of these bigger companies, that's when the conversation went from the Latino market is something that we should do and it's the right thing to do to a war room conversation that said, if we don't do this, we're going to continue to lose market share and some of us might even lose our jobs. It's a totally different conversation. And it was entrepreneurship that caused that to change. And you come from the media and entertainment industry. I'm sure you'll concur that Oprah Winfrey and Tyler Perry have done more for Blacks in the entertainment industry than 50 years of political advocacy, right? So when you can business and when you can prove the model and they proved that there was a marketplace to be had that could make money and they showed how to reach it, that's what entrepreneurship can do. It creates this multiple effects. And so when I think about the next iteration, as you know, Saul and I started Latitude Ventures specifically to start that movement, not because we're going to solve it all ourselves, but we're going to bring attention to this business opportunity. We're going to show that there's money to be made, that there's great entrepreneurs to be had. That to me is where things really get exciting and interesting. Well, you are just the coolest guy on the planet. You know, I love you to death. I know you can't take it in, but you are the most important Latino in our community. And you have done unbelievable, beautiful gifts for all of us. And I honor you. And I'm just so proud to know you and keep doing what you're doing because you're an amazing man. Well, that means so much to me, Nelly. You have no idea. And right back at you. Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nelly Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.